Acts chapter 5, this morning we're looking at verses 17 through 32. So we're finishing out the, the chapter here. How would you define freedom? Some might say that freedom is being able to do what I want when I want. But actually, that's a tremendous form of slavery. For a person is subjected and, and confined by whim and desire. For some, it is to be politically free. Unrestricted. Independent. It's a concept we think about. But I really think that in many cases, we would have trouble actually defining it. If someone said to you, what does it mean to be free? What does freedom mean? Sometimes the most free are looked on by others as being in bondage. Jesus said, if the Son of Man make you free, then you are free indeed. But at the same time, that great freedom requires service. So those who don't know Jesus would say that the one who follows Jesus is not free. Peter and John had been imprisoned, commanded not to speak to anyone about Jesus, and then they were released. And the first thing they did once they were released was to go and speak in the name of Christ and to heal in his name. And many were healed in the name of Jesus. And it highly irritated those who commanded them to stop. If we look it back here at chapter 5, as they came out in verse 16, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Contrast, verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. How dare they go against what we have commanded? So this time they were arrested and put into the common prison. Verse 18, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. The first time they were arrested, they were put inside a room within the temple. Now they're treated just as common malefactors, common, common criminals, if you will. It adds to the insult of being apprehended and taken away. But also it shows their great disdain for being ignored the Sadducees, which made up the ruling party of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish governing authority, had two major denials. First, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But secondly, and you will see the irony, they don't believe in angels. And so what about what is about to happen? Verse 19, 
But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This, then the first part is the God who delivers. There's a pattern of this happening throughout all of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12 and I believe it's verse, verse 1, even beginning at that chapter. Peter is imprisoned by Herod. In verse 5 of chapter 12, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he, he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And we can see if we were to go to Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas as well had an angelic deliverance from their bondage. Now, of course, it would be easy at this point to be carried away with a contemplation about angels. But something else should come to mind. That is what is being represented here. That God's word cannot be put in chains. We, but these are human beings that are in chains. It doesn't matter at this point because the New Testament is not in the hands of the people. There is no Bible that they have except for the Old Testament, and that's mostly in scrolls. So those who are proclaiming the word are as good as the word, and so therefore they cannot be in, in prison like this. And so those who were proclaiming and shepherding should not be stifled. Now there's a comparison. Peter and John had said to the Sadducees before the, the whole group of Jewish leadership, you killed Jesus, but God raised him up. There's a comparison. But here we see you locked up his people, but God let them out. When the angel led them out, he said in verse 20, go, Stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You understand then and you see that the word from God for them to do was the complete opposite of what they had been commanded by the Sanhedrin to do. So what are we seeing here? There's two groups of people for sure. Just as there are two kingdoms upon this earth. But we have to ask the question, who is free and who is imprisoned? The apostles, though living under threat, enjoyed the faithfulness to their call. And so we have first then the God who delivers, and then it's followed by the God who gives life. If God frees somebody, they cannot then be unfreed. Though, through the angel, he spoke to the men. 
And the command was this, go stand in the temple, speak to the people, what? The words of life. Words of life. This life. Now when you see those two words together, this life, it does not mean life in this world at this time. But it means life from the dead. Being raised from death in sins and trespasses to life in Christ. And therefore, there's the freedom. In verses 30 and 31, as they are responding to the Sanhedrin, they said, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. Him God exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. Notice this too, to give repentance to Israel, the people of God. Those uh, Israel being spoken of at that point is more than just a nationality, but all who would make up the church. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins to give repentance repentance is a gift from God these things are the things that open the door to eternal life we might remember in John chapter 6 Jesus had said some strong sayings and some people were very upset about what he had to say which was nothing new Notice in verse 65, he said, Therefore I have said to you that no man can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear that. And we notice in verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And here's one of those shining moments for Simon Peter. Some, sometimes it doesn't get the same amount of attention as some of the other places. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice back in verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, Peter has already referred to Jesus as the, the prince of life, that is the originator, author of life. In Proverbs 8, which points to Christ, is a kind of a poetic way of speaking of him. Set of wisdom, the personification of Christ. He who finds me finds life. And in John chapter 5 and verse 21, Jesus said, The Son gives life to whom he will. How can he do that? Because he is the author of life. He's the creator of life. 
and he has life in him. So you, you have to have life in you to be able to give life. And his words give life. And so the apostles were free and had been freed. But the ones who were truly in bondage proceeded once again to try to stop the unstoppable. At the end of verse 21, Acts chapter 5, we see they're added again. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. We see that once again, they're looking to come down hard upon the apostles, thinking in their minds, well, we've got them securely locked up. They're not going anywhere. And the word that they speak is not going anywhere. Forgetting that over 8,000 people had already responded to their words. They thought, we've got this under control because we've got them under control. And so they sent to have them brought in. There comes a time when those who are in power think they're all powerful and that they can control all things. But these men were the ones who were in bondage as anyone who believes that they can oppose God is in bondage. Verses 22 and 23, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely, the guard standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. It was, everything was just like we left it that night before. The door's locked, the guard's in place, they were wide awake. Yet inside the cell, they said, we found no one inside. And so verse 24, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Something stands out here. Something that needs explaining. And yet there's no questioning about it. You notice they don't ask, how did they get out? Instead, it's how, how did... They went against our order. But wouldn't you want to know if you had imprisoned somebody and then you come in and the cell is empty? Wouldn't the first question be, how'd they do that? And the answer is they didn't ask that question because they didn't want to know what the answer was. So no questioning about how they get out. Only the extreme anger... <coughs> The fact that they were back at the temple defying the orders that they had been given. But there's something else too here. Back in chapter, in verse 17 of chapter 5, 
And the high priest rose up and all those that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And notice here in the New King James, it says they were filled with indignation. Now that Greek word can be easily translated that way. It is translated in many ways that way. But in the ESV, there's also another way that you can translate that word, and that is jealous. They were filled with jealousy. And I think in this particular case, it fits very well because here are these huge crowds coming to the temple to do what? To hear Peter and John speak. And of course, to, to see the healings as well. But nothing like that would ever happen with any of the priests. The people weren't clamoring to see them. And so there's a great deal of jealousy. The people are listening to Peter and John and not listening to them. Peter and John are not listening to them. You know, sometimes when I call one of the beagles, they just look at me. And they might walk the opposite direction. And there's something inside of me that starts to get really agitated. Because they are dogs. And I am the human. And they should listen to my voice. So when they walk the other way after I've told them to come here, there's just that little bit of anger. It's like the parent tells the child, come here, and the child goes the other way. Not the children are dogs. Don't confuse the two. Although I have seen some children on leash, and perhaps they deserve to be. I don't know. <laughs> But the popularity of the apostles also created another form of bondage for, for the Sanhedrin. From verse 26, And the captain went out with the officers and brought them without violence. Why? For they feared the people, lest those, those who were making the arrest should be stoned. Public opinion had really turned, and now they were afraid, just like in several other places in the Gospels you see, that they wanted to lay hands on Jesus, but they were afraid of the people. The apostles, they went along cooperatively and appeared before the Sanhedrin, and in verse 28, they are questioned, interrogated. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and attend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now the last part of that is quite intriguing. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Turn for a moment to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 and verse 24, 
when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person, this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Now, in and amongst that group of at least 71 Jewish leaders, since it was just a matter of months ago that they stood beneath or at Pilate's before him and yelled to crucify Jesus and replied, his blood be upon us. Now they're saying, you're trying to bring his blood upon us. You're trying to make us guilty for doing something wrong. And the reason they bring that up is because they do have guilt. See, those who were truly free were free to speak. And they did not miss the opportunity. So verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. Here's the way of freedom, repentance, forgiveness of sins. And my friends, the blood of Christ is going to be on all people. It'll be on all people, one to cleanse or to condemn. And I find it strange that the same men who said three months earlier or so, had to say this in Matthew 16 and verse 26. said for what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul these men had come to enjoy their position of power and prestige and to be adored by the people and to be looked up to by the people they are a more political body than they are a religious body but yet they rule in both ways that is a, is, a, is a matter of control that is almost unheard of in our society. And even though we have at times a, a government that wants to intrude into all areas of life, but to have a government that not only enforces civil law, but religious law as well. What's left? They don't want to give this up. But because Christ came, because he did what he did, because he is who he is, because of why he came and who sent him, his blood 
His life and death will either be the source of life or the source of torment. You see, in the end, there really is no choice. As Jesus would say, I'm the way. The way means that there's no other way. There really is no choice. I know the old fire and brimstone types would say, have that turn or burn kind of thing. But when you come down to it, there really isn't a choice. Because there is just one way. Isn't it interesting? They placed they placed the apostles in the cell. They locked it up. And said, ah, we've won. We've stopped it. It'll go no further now. And they came back and they found the cell empty. Does that ring with any familiarity? We locked up Jesus. He's dead and he's in the tomb. They came back and he wasn't there. Four quick things as we finish. First, there's only one way to true freedom. The only true freedom is freedom from condemnation. That freedom from condemnation frees the conscience and soothes the soul. Second, those who refuse Christ remain prisoners. Why do you think people like Dawkins, the atheists, write the books that they write? By the way, those books are full of logical fallacies. But in trying to put forth his viewpoint, and if he can get other people to join in with him, maybe he can feel self-justified. But he needs to write. Why? Because deep down inside, a place he will never admit, he's scared. Every atheist has to be scared. Deep down inside, because there's so many things their system can't answer. Why do you think the Sanhedrin didn't ask how they escaped. Because if it truly was an angel that brought them out, the Sadducees would have trouble with first, one of their core beliefs, and secondly, that maybe they are going against God. Third, it's found in 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5 and verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given his Son.
And this is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life. And this life, the life that the angels told him, the apostles to proclaim, this life is in his son. And then fourthly, therefore, no matter what those of this world try to do, no matter how they try to stop the movement of the word of God, how they try to cancel the cause of Christ, no matter what they might try to do to any of us who, who believe and proclaim, we're already delivered. That great question that Paul asks in Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And I close with the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 10 and verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's stand together for prayer.